Hello, I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson, and this is the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. On this episode, we're joined by Ann Dent. She is a political consultant and home safe coordinator for the Utah Domestic Violence Coalition. And Ann, thanks for joining us today. Thanks. So excited to be here. Uh, there's a lot to get on today, so I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm going to get on to it because I, I really want to get to some other stuff that makes me... Uh, I almost want to grow hair so I can pull it out. <laughs> uh, it's, it's driving me so nutty. But uh, so... We are in the political season. Literally, the, the, uh, mm-hmm. the, this is the last, the home stretch. The last 60 days, man. That's right, of yeah. what is going to be a, a pretty monumental pol- uh, presidential election. And as usual, uh, President Trump is in the news. And this time, he actually kind of got in some trouble with, you know, with, with the thing he supports so much, supposedly, is the military. And so, but I'm going to let, uh, was it uh, either yeah. Ann or uh, Amy take this one because... Sure. I'll, I'll tell you, like, so, so the Atlantic published a story um, using some anonymous sources, um, which always bothers people, but, you know, having used anonymous sources, I understand the need for them at times, but um, basically saying that when Donald Trump, uh, when he visited France um, uh, in 2018, um, he was supposed to go to uh, a par- an American cemetery near Paris, um, but he said that uh, rain kept him from going because the helicopter couldn't fly and the Secret Service wouldn't drive him. According to this article in The Atlantic, which has now been confirmed by the Associated Press and the Washington Post reporters independently of The Atlantic, just so you know, they didn't just read this article and they put their stamp on it, they actually found their own sources and confirmed these details. Um, so it's been confirmed by three different news outlets that um, he didn't want to go to the cemetery during in the rain because he feared that his hair would become disheveled and that um, he didn't understand why it was important to honor American war dead. Um, people with first-hand knowledge of the discussion that day said, uh, Trump said, why should I go to that cemetery? It's filled with losers. Um, in a separate conversation, Trump referred to the more than 1,800 Marines who lost their lives at Bellawood as suckers for getting killed. Um, it's caused a tremendous uh, backlash for him, as Jason mentioned, with um, military personnel and veterans. Um, mostly what I've seen is veterans um, being pretty um, angry, but also I would say that comes from hurt. There, um, There's nothing more sacred than somebody giving their life for this country and for our freedoms, for especially to those who serve in the military. I was raised by a Vietnam veteran, and, uh, you know, there's a... To the people my dad lost, he can tell you their names, he can tell you the details of what happened, um, and he takes those losses very personally. And so to insult war dead um, is a pretty tremendous uh, transgression. And I, I don't see, he's denied this, the president's come out and said that he never said this. He also said that he never called John McCain a loser. And he's actually been calling John McCain a loser since... For years. Yeah, as Anne pointed out, since, I think, 1995. <laughs> um, he's been doing interviews saying, um, you know, he doesn't think he's a hero just because he got captured. And I, am a, as I've said on the show, a, a massive John McCain fan. I grew up admiring him. And um, he's not a hero because he got captured. He's a hero because of how he handled five years in captivity and that he wouldn't leave his, his men. Absolutely. And that guy has what, the option to leave, mm-hmm. and he says, nope, I'm not going unless everybody else is going, and they tortured him some more. Yeah. 
and he had physical, um, you know, uh, impairments, I guess, Absolutely. from it the rest of his life. So Absolutely. not to mention, you know, that it uh, was likely the cause of the end of his first marriage. And, you know, he, he had a well, tremendous... Well, that wasn't the end of his first marriage. Well... Stooping his, his next wife. Yeah, let's, 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 let's be honest that. about yeah. that, Amy. But, but <laughs> I think you guys can say it, but, you don't, but when you're dealing with trauma, you don't always nope. deal with it very nope. well, right? Not, not with Absolutely. my cancer-ridden yeah. wife at, in the hospital. I'm not giving him that. Okay. But he I, is, I he think is a that to be admired for other reasons. John McCain is the picture of elder statesman, right? Like mm-hmm. we can we can agree to that. He Absolutely. is somebody that we. I I don't understand how any president or anybody can really say things that this president has said about him. And I think, and I've just jumped in, Amy, but I think that what's really getting to me too is that these electeds and these. Um, names in our state, Utah, have not come out and been offended by all of this. Where is their outrage? Um, it, it Because of their following of this president, they are mums the word. And it, it makes me then think of them even less, which is it's kind of hard because we're, we're at a low, low, um, you know, bar there. But it's it's just I I can't fathom where we're at right now with this. See, what, what I don't get is Donald Trump may be persona non grata in two months. Why you would uh, hitch your wagon to this horse when it's not even uh, you know guaranteed that he's going to be the the one that you'll be riding uh, later on or following later on is is just what's crazy to me. And by the way, if 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 you are people of integrity, you have if. Just don't even get me started if any Democrat has said it. But if, if Barack Obama would say the things that Donald Trump has said, people would lose their collective minds. There would be like this giant uh, mushroom cloud explosion from everybody with an R next to their name. And yet Donald Trump, who lacks the, the integrity of a gnat, uh, is allowed to denigrate the people who he says he loves so much and he respects so much. And yet the people who have proven their, uh, their dedication to their service to their country, he can somehow, uh, you know, make these disparaging comments about them when having never served one day in uniform and never even went, given the opportunity, figured a way to get out of that. He had actually five deferments. So uh, I, I just, I, I find it reprehensible. Well, the and likes also- of, uh, People like Chris Stewart and uh, uh, what's the guy's name? Mike Lee and all these other people who are quivering behind him. It just, it just drives me nuts. We live in a state where there's still almost 50% approval rating for this president. So it is, as, as I go back, just I can't understand what, why are these, why are all these people still hitching their, their, you know, what is going on? And I, I'm perplexed. Well, and for me, it's it feels, and some of the things we're going to talk about today are intensely personal because my dad served in Vietnam and I was raised, you know, I feel like I uh, I also, my mom and, and my siblings and I also, also somehow in a tiny way served because the impact that had on my dad, uh, it, it continues to this day. And today, no, that's not a tiny way. I think no, that right? families right. serve with their family members. So don't, don't like, well, but I mean, yeah. I don't want to like co-op my dad's service, but I want to say that 
um, when someone serves, and especially when they uh, ha are a combat veteran, um, I think there is, uh, there are, that reverberates throughout their lifetime. Today is my dad's 73rd birthday, and uh, happy birthday, dad. Happy and, birthday, um, dad. And I think that th as I contemplated my dad's life last night and I was reading these things, I, and, and, and earlier in the day I had I had another discussion about police issues, and my dad is a 21-year veteran of the Alaska State Troopers, um, you know, I'm feeling very, uh, you know, emotional and sickened by it. And, um, and I, I really want to make sure people understand next week we have the 9-11 anniversary that, you know, waving a flag or saying um, that you support thing or, you know, putting your hand over your heart. Those are not acts of patriotism, so to speak. You know, that, 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 what's patriotic is doing the right thing when it's really hard. And it's stay, standing up for this country and, and standing up for what we say we believe in, like free speech, like um, uh, you know your right to privacy or your right to protest. or Those are the kinds of things that make you, in my opinion, patriotic. And my dad taught me a tremendous respect for the flag. I mean, and I could tell you stories that you would laugh about, but, um, but my dad was also very, much a fan of and he's where I get this love of like free speech and and this is why we have the country that we have and so I don't I don't understand um, I don't understand why there isn't more outcry I think that even if you decide you're gonna vote for Donald Trump you can be appalled and sickened and outraged by what he's saying and don't let him wrap himself in a flag and get away with it and don't let him hide behind soldiers who've given everything and their families who were never the same um, after after they lose somebody. Don't okay. let him do that. I we, also uh, wanted uh, to... Oh, we got uh, to go because go we're running long, but we'll come back and we'll, I'll let you finish there, Ann. But uh, we got a lot to talk about uh, beyond just the president because we also have the Democrats to talk about as it comes up because we have uh, now a full ticket and we know exactly what the presidential race is going to look like. We'll continue our discussion with Ann Dent and myself and Amy. Uh, you're listening to Voices of Reason. back. I'm Jason Lee along with Amy Donaldson and this is the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. We're joined today by Ann Dent who is a political consultant and home safe coordinator for the Utah Domestic Violence Coalition. And, uh, and we were talking about uh, the president and uh, his kind of denigration of uh, military service and you had a comment uh, regarding kind of uh, what, what's been transpiring of late. I think I just wanted to add um, as a naturalized citizen and as somebody who was raised in a family that is absolutely so patriotic. We have so many um, military members um, in my family and um, always celebrated, um, you know, holidays and ha flags. And it has been an outrage to watch this president um, deal with um, members of the military who are not citizens yet. He's deported um, military members and said that, you know, they don't belong in this country after they have dedicated um, their lives to the military, to this country. And, you know, that gets no airtime. And 
it's another add perplex to my list of things that I just don't understand why there's not outrage about this, Mm -hmm. how you serve in this country, make it your country, you know, leave your family, um, make all the sacrifices. And then you're told, sorry, you're not going to be a citizen and you're not worthy of living in this country. That is just something I don't understand. And I honestly think the outrage, I keep waiting for these people, the leaders of the military, especially those who've served in the Trump administration and who've criticized the president directly, how, where are they? You, you have the power to speak now. You have, the, the, I think, the moral obligation to stand up for your troops. I mean, let's be real. 60 days ago, we heard about the fact that uh, Russia may be putting a bounty on our military people, uh, and, and we've never heard uh, that. I mean, that's from our intelligence sources. And, th- and that's never been dispelled. And there's no outrage. The outrage I see is from veterans like Tammy Duckworth. I don't see the outrage from our Congress and from, you know, from Republicans who say they support our military. I have a nephew in the military right now. I want to know if that's true. And I want that to be stopped. I want Russia to pay for what they did. You know, I, I don't know that we're going to get that. It's, it's one of those things where we can wait for as long as we want. Uh, again, this to me, and I remember uh, I'm 55, about to be 55. I have uh, watched a lot of presidential circumstances, and this is unique to me that I can recall, in, at least in my lifetime, mm-hmm. that a person who is objectively just kind of the opposite of everything that you know people are supposed to uh, you know aspire to, and, and I don't know, and just just kind of represent as the president, has been allowed to just say and do you know outrageous things, and so. The, the idea that what we, we are outraged by it, it's just us. It's yeah. like, seriously, it's just us. Because all of those other people, they're keeping quiet. So it, it, Well, it, not it, only that, Jason, let's just be real. I know lots of people who admire him and think he's a great president and a great leader, and they think he's the greatest president since I, I, Abraham Lincoln. And I'm not, that's well, not an exaggeration. I understand that, but Abraham Lincoln's been over, uh, uh, you know, exaggerated too, because he didn't uh, get rid of the slaves because he loved it. He just did it because it was expedient. But that's another story. We'll, 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 we'll I don't, have that discussion another day, too. I don't know about an, anybody else, but I think this quote, um, in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Mm-hmm. And um, I just, I'm taking notes. And, yeah. you know, I think others need to, too. And it, it's not just our electeds as well. It's people, you know, in organizations and people in our families and um, everybody stop, around us. Other people in their families because of this stuff. Yeah. So let's move on to the yes. Democratic ticket because we now, as you said, have a full ticket and we it's uh, a historic ticket. Uh, Kamala Harris, first African-American woman to be a VP candidate on a major ticket and also the first Indian American. Um, so I, I just want to mention that Amy thinks the black women are going to take over the, uh, America. And I, and I want that. <laughs> well, it, I wanted to tell um, the story of, so, you know, I think that we all heard the whispers of Biden is, you know, planning on picking a woman of color, and that was the route he was going. And um, I was actually in Harmon's when this announcement was made, and I had to put my groceries down, and just tears started running down my face, and I sat in my car. And I'm not even, you know, I think Kamala is, amazing. I'm not a hundred percent, you know, um, 
for everything she's done in the past, but I think that she has risen and done so many great things as well. But as a woman of color, as an Asian American woman, an Indian woman, I think, I know for me and so many other women of color, seeing um, her face um, be you know, there is, is just something I can't even describe. And growing up watching C-SPAN and, um, not seeing anybody that looks like me and finally having this is something that I can't even describe is something that will, you know, all these younger, um, women of color are watching this saying, oh my gosh, if she can do this, I can do this as well. And representation is something that people really underestimate. They don't understand how much this affects people like me and people like us. You know, and I, I would agree with you 100% because his, his representation means that I can see myself in that, in that situation. Because uh, prior to Barack Obama, you know, they could always say you could grow up to be president. Well, everybody knew as long as you're a white guy, you could, you could be president. But now they see the ceiling broken a little. That's not to say that there's always going to be this change, but there is at least an opportunity in people's minds that they can push forward and maybe there's an opportunity for them. Seeing Kamala Harris uh, have this job, as you said, and I, there's plenty of stuff that we could talk about regarding her that you, know, may, you may not agree with, but she is capable, she's smart, and you just know that at the very least she's uh, qualified to be able to do this job, and, and you know that there's others just like her uh, who also are equally uh, qualified, and, and they are women, some of women of color, and they, they, they deserve the opportunity to be seen, first of all, and, and then to be heard using their voice and their intellect to show all of us that uh, we've been shortchanging them for forever as far as this country is concerned. Yeah, for me, I, I feel like uh, representation matters for a, a, a long, very long list of reasons, but the one thing for me as a voter or as a citizen of this country that it fe that I feel when I see, uh, I felt this way when Hillary Clinton got the nomination. I felt this way when I was watching some great women run um, on the you know for the, in the Democratic primary, and then um, seeing Kamala on the ticket now is they understand my experience in a way that even the most sensitive and and compassionate man cannot, <laughs> and so. You know, they've run in, they've been underestimated at work. They've been targeted. They've been told to dress more feminine or don't dress so feminine. They've been criticized for their makeup or their hair or what. So their experience in this country is, I, I know they feel it in a way in their bones, right? And that's what I feel when I see them campaigning and, and, and I think, what would it what would our country look like if the people making decisions were more representative of the people experiencing America at this moment? How would the how would the policies shift? How would things change? What kind of conversations would we we'd be having? And that that's really my I, I you know, my joy. I feel like Anne I also shed tears and felt um I honestly felt some relief because I just am so desperate for diversity in our political representation. Uh, we got to get going here, but I want to I want to say that I, I hate to think that I'm the only one that wasn't crying because honestly, I thought it was a foregone conclusion that, <laughs> that he was going to pick her. You know, that's, that's just me. So uh, when we come back, I want to switch to a, not a, a, a another serious topic because 
I am tired of black and brown people being killed in the streets of our country. When we come back, we will have the, we'll continue our discussion with Ann Dent and my, myself and Amy. You're listening to Voices of Reason. back. I'm Jason Lee along with Amy Donaldson and this is the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. Today we're joined by Ann Dent, political consultant and home safe coordinator for the Utah Domestic Violence Coalition. And uh, I want to get to a topic that, you know, has exasperated me for about 55 years almost. I, yet another unarmed black person has, well, it's been uh, uh, shown that uh, this uh, just happened before George Floyd actually. But they, uh, they kept it uh, kind of under wraps. Uh, a man, he, he was mentally ill. And I'm, I'm drawing a blank on his name. I have to come up with it in a second. Richard Pryd? Yes. And Rochester. He was, uh, his family actually called because they knew he was having some issues. By the way, because uh, always everything comes, comes back that I'm from Chicago. This guy had actually was going back and forth between Rochester and Chicago. Uh, just throwing that in there for no good reason. Sorry, the, uh, Daniel Prude. Daniel Prude. So he, he, was, he had some mental illness. So he was walking around the streets of Rochester nude. Not, not obviously, something's not right. However, when he was uh, approached by the police, they, it's raining on this day, by the way. Just, I'm going to throw that out there, too. They, they, uh, they apprehend him. They put him in handcuffs and sit him on the, on the ground, on the wet ground. And it just, I'm going to be really angry in a second here, so I'm trying to keep it... As best I can, um, and then he tells them he has COVID, so they put a hood over his face, and so they say that he won't spit on them, and then they press his face into the ground until he can't breathe, and he he's he dies later. All right, so I am I'm through. I I I'm just so angry, and I'm beyond angry though, because the anger only lasts. For the second, I got to realize I, ain't, I don't have time to be angry, you know, and I, I, I'm not, I don't have time to be sad. I don't shed no tears. I, I, I am just sick and tired of police acting like they are animals. They are just despicable human beings. And that is not to say them all, but the ones I am watching do this, they don't. If, if this is what if, if police don't understand why folks hate them then they are the stupidest people on earth because that's why they, they hate them. When you kill a person who obviously was mentally ill, you put something over his face to asphyxiate him, and then to make it worse, you, you put your knee uh, at his back and his, press his face into the wet ground with no consideration for his huma- humanity. And then you just go about your life as if you did nothing wrong. And then all of the police you watch they all either are silent or they, they co-sign on it, which is to say they act like, okay, that just it happens. There's a reason why uh, black and brown people have a different relationship with uh, law enforcement because the institution itself uh, does not respect us. It's, it shows us that every day. It, it, it shows us that we are not human beings to them whether they are police officers or prosecutors, because they put us in jail longer as if somehow we can't be, uh, you know, uh, somehow there's no, no situation where we can be better 
but they will allow the Jeffrey Epsteins of the world to traffic young women to people of uh, power and influence. And then nothing, the only thing that happens to him is he gets killed in prison because they're worried about him uh, narking on everybody else because they know they're all in cahoots. This, and, and this happens locally. When, when uh, the young man here most recently killed in Salt Lake City, uh, he was shot as he was falling down. He, could, he was not aiming his uh, gun at anybody. First of all, he couldn't keep his pants up because he fell two or three times and the police felt the need to shoot him and kill him dead. I just, I, I, I do not have a sense of any kind of righteousness for those who are wearing badges today. And I, I'm, but I'm also tired of hearing them acting like they're the ones under siege and, and you know, nobody loves them. Because you wanna know it's harder to be a police officer in America? Try being a black or a brown dude in America. Because you don't have a gun and a badge to shoot back and protect yourself. If I do anything other than capitulate and just give my body up, that is a crime. I, I've committed a crime even if I am being beat into the ground or about to lose my life or the, the police officer is completely out of line. I have to be the guy that just takes it. That's rougher than being any cop. So enough with the police and you know this, this feeling sad for them. What they got to do is do the right thing and treat people like human beings like they would want to be treated if they were in that situation. And until they do that, they're going to continue to get the protesting, the demonstration, and the, uh, just the, the feeling of uh, lack of empathy for them because they haven't shown that to people of color in the entire time that uh, law enforcement has been in existence as long as America has been a country. I am done. Uh, that's hard to follow up on, first of all. Uh, I just want to do this. Yeah, this is, wow. And thank you. And I can't pretend, even as a woman of color, I can't pretend to understand um, because as a black man, like persona non grata in this country, um, people who think that black people should still think that, teach your children that the police are good people. And if you call 911, they're going to help you that that is just a different world even as a woman of color um i know that if police are called on people of color it's a totally different um situation than when they're um called by a white individual and f what is so frustrating i think for me in my realm and amy and i have these discussions is that um I'm not surprised anymore. And it's, it's not, it's, it's been before, um, you know, Donald Trump has been in office is that these things have been going on systemically for so long that, um, we hear about it. I, we don't even know, remember the names of each person that's being shot and killed or choked or, um, every day by the police. Um, and then we, see on the news white men who have big guns that are you know walk by the police and the, and taken to get hamburgers and that walk are into state capitals armed that are described in the media as you know a black man who is having a mental breakdown we're hearing about when they sold a joint 20 years ago but a white man um, who kills 10 people we hear about how hard their life has been and how they they um, struggled with video games and it, depression and anxiety and I am honestly and 
you know, the media coverage of all of this and the bias and how we are turned into animals, not only by police, but, um, you know, society has deemed us, um, and especially black people in this country, unworthy of protection, unworthy of respect, unworthy of justice. Um, Brianna Taylor, like what, what has happened? What did she do? What she was in, you know, and it, this is, I don't even know how to, as a, as a woman of color to be outraged. I'm, are you angry, Anne? What, what's happened to for you today? Like if I don't have this sunny disposition, then there, people are still surprised. And, and as a woman that feels like she has to walk this line because I want to, um, build co- coalitions and um, make progress. I'm angry. I'm angry. And, but I'm scared to be angry. I'm scared to show that anger because then I'm labeled the angry brown woman and I don't get to be at the table. So there are so many layers of this conversation that are so hard and I don't know how to move forward. Uh, we have to stop this and come back because I, I don't want to run out of time. But Amy, uh, we'll let you say something too. And also, we got to talk about Pat Bagley's cartoon because uh, yet again, it goes back to politics because so much of what we do is uh, politics and you know how, how it kind of goes into everything. It seeps into everything. Uh, we're joined today by Ann Dent, a political, political consultant and home safe coordinator for the Utah Domestic Violence Coalition. And of course, she's Amy, I'm Jason. This is Voices of Reason. Hello and welcome back to the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee along with Amy Donaldson. Joined today by Ann Dent, political consultant and home safe coordinator for the Utah Domestic Violence Coalition and just friend of our show. And uh, Amy, uh, we <laughs> Ann and I kind of co-opted the last segment, so we That's did want to give you a chance to kind of respond to the whole police brutality thing. Yeah, I mean, and, I, and as you both know, I come at this, I have a sister who's currently in law enforcement. My dad is retired. My, both my brothers-in-law is, uh, still serve as police officers. So I, I come from a long tradition of, of, uh, of law enforcement, but um, I think even they would tell you there are a number of issues that they don't deal with very well. And I think what I've been disappointed with, and, and we're going to get into talking about the Pat Bagley cartoon, and I think these are related topics, is I, if you came, there are issues in the media. We have representation issues. There are things that we do, Ann and I, that's how we met, was her complaining about media coverage. <laughs> um, but, but there are things we do in the media that um, are hurtful, that are impactful, that change the conversation, and that, that uh, completely leave certain communities out of the conversation and out of solutions. And I think that I am the first person to say, let's, ha- let's, let's, let's have this conversation. You know, Jason, I'm constantly complaining to our bosses and constantly saying, what are we doing? How are we changing? How can we evolve? How can we fix these problems? I don't think the media has been very responsive about the issues, but I'm a media member saying that. And what I don't hear is law enforcement officers saying, yes, we have these issues. Yes, we have some people in, we we have a difficult time 
policing our ranks and these are the issues in the system that make it hard. I would say that uh, turn, you, you being responsible for turning in other officers who you then have to rely on in life and death situations is a, is a fatal flaw in the plan. There are a lot of things you can see in the system that don't work. But the bottom line is there are issues in policing and if you are denying that at this point, I don't know how, I can't even have a conversation with you. I think that um, what needs to happen is at the highest levels, you need to see people saying the kind of things that at times we've heard from like Mike Brown and other chiefs saying, yes, there are, I think the new chief at the U has been one of those people who said, yeah, there are issues and we're trying to, we're trying to solve the problems um, and we want the community's help with that. And so hopefully some of that starts to move us forward, but I don't see that as a widespread response to, uh, you know, the, the Rochester one, uh, uh, Daniel Prude's death was so, um, so, uh, I mean, I know you guys said you're beyond that. I'm, I'm, it just is so debilitatingly painful for me to watch and know that this is happening so often that, and we don't know about it. What if there weren't these videos? What if we didn't know? Look at Elijah McClain. Um, you know, the 23-year-old kid who was choked to mm -hmm. death, you know, for no reason. He's not even a danger to anybody. And, you know, I just think that uh, if, if we can't evolve somewhat in the conversation, I don't know how, how this ever changes. And, and, and it absolutely has to change. And um, I think the first place is to say that there is a problem and that um, it is a deadly problem. For, for some of the, you know, for 50% of this country. So, um, uh, people of color. And so I think uh, it leads me to the, the Pat Bagley cartoon where he uh, does, he did what, what political cartoonists attempt to do every day and that is to provoke with a cartoon. And so he has a doctor standing next to a law enforcement officer who's in uniform and they're looking at an x-ray and the x-ray, uh, the is uh, it, near the bottom, the lumbar of the back, this bottom of the back, and, and his hips are a Klansman's hood and shoulders. And, and then he says, well, I, I think we, we see what your problem is, or, you know, I'm, I'm going from memory on this, but, but the, you know, we, I think we, we see what the problem is. And his explanation for the, I got what it was, it was, this cop is sick, he doesn't feel like something's right, he goes in, he gets the x-ray, and he finds that, <laughs> there's this white supremacist, you know, issue, right? And he's saying, in order to heal yourself, you have to know what the problem is. You have to get a diagnosis, and then you can find the cure. And that's sort of the gist of the cartoon from my perspective. And, and, and I will be honest with you and tell you, it felt like a gut punch. Um, because I don't know a better human being than my dad, and you've met him, Jason. I have. Uh, that man, is, he's run into a burning building to save yes. people he didn't know. He's flown missions in the bush of Alaska to, to help people that most of this country doesn't even give a crap about. Um, and so I feel bad. A bit of me feels personally insulted, but I also know it to be true. And so I want it to change because I want my sister and my dad to be, you know, 100% appreciated for the heroes that they are and not this sort of like caveat that's like, but yeah, but there's a lot of cops who have these issues. It's not, a, it's, not, it's not anything I'm making up. 
The DOJ and the FBI have both said for over 10 years that white in different reports that white supremacists have infiltrated law enforcement organizations. That's a fact. What are we going to do about it? Well, it's been happening since the, again since law enforcement was started, since it was a slave patrol to begin with. But then we all knew that uh, white supremacists back then it was a KKK only. But I mean, all of these people, it's 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 the reason gangs started to go to college. Uh, or they became organized crime so that they could be smart and infiltrate these various institutions to make it easier for them to conduct their uh, illegal uh, enterprises. If you are a person in, uh, that happens to be a white supremacist and you know this, then you would want to have people within these institutions that could help you forward your agenda in a way that would be legally sanctioned. It's, it makes perfectly logical sense. Now, what, what is difficult though is that so frequently the, uh, the institutions themselves, the people who are leaders in their, in their hierarchy, they refuse to acknowledge that. And so, because they're too, they're too busy being defensive rather than recognizing, of course, it makes sense. We gotta get rid of this problem. It's the same thing that happens in uh, political parties too, right? You know, the, the Republicans gotta realize that there is this perception, whether they believe it or not, that it's a racist party. And Rick Wilson, who's written two books about uh, this uh, very uh, issue, knows that this is what, what it looks like. We have to do a better job from within to make it look better for the outside and be better for the outside. And this has to, the same thing has to happen in law enforcement. And that includes uh, prosecutors as well as people in uniform. Um, just wanted to also add, in this state, Utah has one of, is up there on police shootings. And as I'm watching from my political, you know, um, goggles, I'm seeing these elected. So yesterday on Twitter, we had um, Senator Thatcher um, just outraged. He called the cartoon a disgrace. Black Lives Matter, police reform matters. I am hard at work with law enforcement and the a NAACP on continuing efforts. This kind of trash makes it harder. Um, Congressman Stewart, like, same kind of message. And I just want to ask them, like, do you really think there is not an issue? There is an obvious issue here. And you pushing back against this gives this kind of movement more fodder. It, this, this, they have a voice and it, you know, these, it's so scary. And it goes back to what the last segment was about is that police officers a large amount of them feel like they are empowered. And we're seeing this in Cottonwood Heights. We're seeing this in Utah. We're seeing this in our nation is that police officers can shoot somebody in the back seven times and, you know, a protest the next day with um, KKK flags and all kinds of things. And there's not a problem. There's not an issue. Um, we also see affiliations with electeds and police chiefs Absolutely. with these groups. And can you imagine if a black or person, uh, can you imagine, and I hate to even name names, so I'm not going to be specific, but if any um, police officers, especially, you know, sheriffs in this state who are of color um, had Black Panthers, you know, um, paraphernalia or were endorsed by them, it would be an outrage. So I, I, the disconnect again, 
and just the naivete, but that I don't think people are naive. They know what's going on. They see it. They don't want to admit it. And this is why black and brown bodies are also um, being murdered every day. And there's no justice for them is because of groups like this that are empowered. And I'll also, let me just add really fast that also there's a First Amendment issue here. And if you say you're for free speech, then I'm sorry, don't be offended by a cartoon or be offended by a cartoon and walk on by. There's no reason to do anything other than say, well, that was offensive. I read stuff every day that offends me and I just keep on trucking. And sometimes it comes out of the face of the person standing at the presidential podium. Join us again for the next episode of the Loudbound Project's Voices of Reason. I'm going to get that last comment in with nobody saying anything after. If you have comments about our show, please contact us via email at boramed at gmail.com or at borjasonl at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter at adonsports and at jasonlee1. Our show's Twitter handle is at podcast. Check out our Facebook page and you can also find and subscribe to free episodes of our show in all the places where you find interesting content. Be sure to review our show as well. We'd love to get your feedback and it helps us grow our audience. Until next time, along with Amy Donaldson, I'm Jason Lee. When you engage in passionate debate, do your best to keep your dialogue civil. Try to be the voice of reason. Voices of Reason is a production of the Loudmouth Project.